From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Chinese president's called for deeper global cooperation at the BRICS Business Forum in South Africa. Thailand's parliament's approved a new prime minister. And many uh, Canadian wildfire evacuees are still waiting to return to their homes. In business, the BRICS New Development Bank issues its first RAND-denominated bond on international markets. In sports, China's first medal at the 2023 World Athletics Championships. In culture and entertainment, showcase of Chinese culture in Kenya. Now checking the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping is calling for deeper cooperation to jointly build a better world. Addressing a BRICS business forum in Johannesburg, South Africa, President Xi underscored long-lasting peace and security, common prosperity and inclusiveness. He expressed confidence in the development of BRICS, which represents emerging economies. He also said China welcomes more countries to join the cooperation. The Chinese president says uh, as a developing country and member of the Global South, China will not seek hegemony, but will safeguard the interests of developing countries. Leaders and officials attending the business forum have applauded the proposals. Sunya has more. South Africa's president wasted little time railing against protectionism and unilateralism. In the statement, Chinese President Xi Jinping repeatedly called for more cooperation, including advancing expansion of BRICS membership. The Chinese comments were met several times with applause. We are in the BRICS not by accident, because we have hope, we have desires, we hope that BRICS will grow. I welcome very much the Chinese declaration, the declaration of President of China, and because it encourages everybody to, to, to start and to, 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 to join, to make a, a, different, a different world. 
That was a report about China's proposals at the BRICS Business Forum in Johannesburg. Officials and experts agreed that BRICS has elevated the status of developing countries and emerging markets in the international arena. They believe it's becoming increasingly appealing for countries that advocate multilateralism and seek win-win cooperation. Director Selçuk Tolakolu at the Turkish Center for Asia-Pacific Studies in Ankara has acknowledged China's role within BRICS. China is a very important country in, the, in, the, in, in BRICS, uh, largest economy in BRICS also. Uh, and also China initiated very important uh, initiatives uh, within the BRICS. Turkey at least wants to join uh, some BRICS initiatives like uh, the Lean Development Bank, for example, because with the help of uh, BRICS Bank, uh, BRICS uh, have a chance to deliver some economic advantages members and also cooperated countries. Other experts say China's achievements in poverty alleviation and space exploration have inspired many other developing countries to become members of the BRICS group. BRICS expansion is a major issue on the agenda this year. Brazil has also signaled its openness to admitting new members. Paulo Cabral has more. Brazil is the largest economy in Latin America. It's an agricultural powerhouse, one of the world's biggest food producers and exporters. The country also boasts a significant industrial sector, though many businesses struggle to stay competitive. And it has a vast consumer market, already buying large numbers of imported products, often from China. Being part of the BRICS group helps Brazil expand its commercial relations. I believe BRICS is an important political uh, project. But, it's, but can be also an important economic platform. When we look uh, to the members of BRICS, specifically China, Russia, and India, uh, and maybe South Africa in, in such ways, we have, we have three important uh, markets for Brazilian products. The group held its first summit in 2009, minus South Africa, which would join later. That was during the second term of President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Now, on his third government, Lula is showing his readiness to work towards strengthening BRICS. President Lula recently made clear his support for the acceptance of new BRICS members. I think it's extremely important that we allow other countries that fulfill the BRICS conditions to be allowed in the group. I think that from a global perspective, the BRICS group could play an exceptional role. There's also hope in the country that relations with BRICS countries will help Brazil to receive more investment, especially from China. Our country has huge needs in the area of infrastructure, railways and waterways, for example. And BRICS countries have vast experience in this area. This could benefit us, and at the same time, it would help Brazil to expand its market and export more commodities to these nations. Lula's government has already made clear its support for a global South foreign policy, which favors relations with other developing nations. The BRICS group is an important instrument to help implement such a principle. That was Paulo Cabral in Sao Paulo. Argentina has close trade ties with China and Brazil, both founding members of BRICS. It's been working to reduce its reliance on the U.S. dollar, which is one of the key topics at this year's BRICS summit in Johannesburg. As part of the effort, Argentina has been bidding to join the BRICS New Development Bank. Ignacio Canisi has details. The incorporation of Argentina to BRICS has been a long-time goal for the country, especially under the administration of President 
Alberto Fernández. To analyze this better, we asked geopolitical expert Leandro Ocon, who specially ponders the weight of both Brazil and China, Argentina's first and second largest trading partners, in the decision. I believe it will be uh, a great win for Argentina if it becomes a big member. We have to look at at least two things. First, how the world is shifting its geopolitical order, how there is a lot of realignments around the globe. And if we look at right now how uh, Argentinian economy that is uh, troubling in many senses, Argentina is, has a huge debt with the monetary fund, has a, lot, has a big inflation rate. Argentina needs to realign itself to different countries that provide alternative ways of alliances and commercial opportunities and investment opportunities. To further understand what are the practical implications of joining BRICS as a full member, we asked economist and director of strategic China-Argentina relations program at the University of National Defense, Gonzalo Tordini. He signals how BRICS member countries are developing commerce between their nations using their own currencies as a method of payment instead of the U.S. dollar that has dominated global commerce over the past 70 years. Tordini also mentions how these member countries are developing a new global financial order, not only with commerce but also with BRICS' new development bank, which Argentina will likely join this year. Para Argentina estas iniciativas son realmente interesantes, pueden generar for Argentina, these initiatives are really interesting. They can generate greater support for our reserves. The entrance to the new development bank will be an instance of access to investment projects, infrastructure, currency exchange, that it is not intermediated through the dollar, and this may be the possibility of greater development for Argentina to broaden its foreign policy and have a financial insertion that does not depend solely on the IMF as it stands, the incorporation of Argentina as a full member of BRICS is not a given, but it's a true possibility. As Ocon signals, the natural belonging of the country, both by its history and present, to the group is unquestioned, or at least experts like Tordini said it should be, that the strategic relations, especially with Brazil and China, should be a state policy and not depend on who runs the executive power. That was Ignacio Canizzi reporting from Argentina. Coming up, Thailand's parliament has approved a new prime minister. As the most recent addition to the BRICS grouping 13 years ago, South Africa is leading a new round of expansion involving more emerging economies. How has South Africa benefited from this partnership? And why are more countries interested in joining BRICS? Listen to Deep Dive this week and explore the answers. Available on all major podcast platforms, just search for Deep Dive. We're at 10 minutes past the hour. Thailand's parliament has voted for property mogul Seta Tavisin to become the next prime minister. The vote ended three months of political deadlock in the country. Uh, this comes as former Putai party leader uh, Taksin Shinawat returned home after years in exile. He was taken straight to jail to serve an eight-year sentence. Chowrat Yongjiranon has more from Bangkok. Thai Party PM candidate Seta Tawisin has garnered enough votes to become Thailand's next prime minister. 
The Putai 11 party coalition has got beyond the numbers they expected, winning with 482 votes. The next steps to establish the new government are expected to be relatively quick, as a royal ceremony is announcing Seta's win. And it will be interesting to see how the government will form and operate as the coalition contains remnants of the former military-led government. The huge turnout of Thaksin Shinawat's supporters greeting the former prime minister shows that there is still strong support for the Putai party founder. Thaksin, meanwhile, has started serving his eight-year prison sentence. The 74-year-old former leader has been admitted to a hospital unit of the Bangkok Remand Prison due to his old age and underlying illnesses. After being away from his home country for 15 years, his presence remains to be a pivotal one for the future of Thailand. That was Charat Yongjiranon reporting. A China special envoy for Pacific Island countries' affairs says the push by the Japanese government to pour the Fukushima nuclear-contaminated wastewater into the sea has alarmed the Pacific Island nations, which were once victims of nuclear contamination. Those countries have suffered since the mid-1920s as a result of several large countries using them as nuclear test sites and disposal locations for nuclear waste. Chan Bua says the countries are worrying that Japan's move will result in a second nuclear contamination disaster for them. The tragedy of history must not be repeated, while the agony of the inhabitants of the island nations has not yet subsided. The Pacific Ocean's marine ecosystem, the fishing industry, human health and future generations will all be impacted by Japan's release of nuclear contaminated water into the ocean. Information shows that the U.S. and the U.K. carried out dozens of nuclear tests in Pacific Island countries such as the Marshall Islands in Kiribati during the 1940s and 50s. A lot of radioactive waste was also dumped into the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans from 1946 to 1982. The experiments in waste have caused long-term damage to the ecology of the Pacific Islands and to local people's health. Uh, Chan says China is willing to work with the Pacific Island countries to jointly urge Japan to stop discharging nuclear contaminated water into the ocean and deal with it in a responsible manner under strict supervision instead. In Fiji, a parliamentarian called on the country's leaders to stand firmly against Japan's disposal plan. Uh, Keitan Lau from the opposition Fiji First Party says Pacific Islanders have witnessed the devastating consequences of nuclear contamination and must not allow history to repeat itself on their shores. Elsewhere, demonstrators have uh, taken to the streets of South Korean cities to express their opposition. Protesters are calling on their government to stop Tokyo from releasing the water and to file a lawsuit at the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea. Former U.S. President Donald Trump says he'll turn himself into the authorities in Atlanta for the Georgia election interference case on Thursday. Authorities indicted Trump and 18 others over alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. The indictment followed an investigation by the Fulton County District Attorney. The probe was launched after audio leaked from a January 2021 phone call during which Trump urged the Georgia Secretary of State to question the validity of ballots, especially those in in Atlanta. Trump reportedly said that he wanted to find the votes to erase his 2020 loss in the state. Media reports say a judge in Atlanta set Trump's bail at $200,000 U.S. Two of Trump's co-defendants in the case have surrendered at an Atlanta jail. 
Besides infrastructure and transportation projects, China's Belt and Road Initiative is also offering skills and new experiences. Gao Ang went to a project in East China which provides industrial vocational training for Indonesians. She spoke with students about their cooperation. Faisal Kafil has been an engineer for an Indonesian electric company for years. Since last month, he's been in East China's Suzhou city and learning something new from courses on Internet of Things, mechanical construction and programming. And for him, it's a great opportunity. Because uh, back in our country, uh, we need something like this, but this, I think, is much more advanced in the technology and also in the uh, curriculum. And these lessons could be useful. Faisal said they have similar technology and equipment in Indonesia, so he can apply the new knowledge and skills at the power plants back home. With the robotic here, we learn, we can enhance, we can uh, push the, the power plant into the more advanced technology. We can use robotic to stack up things, we can use the robotic to automatic uh, uh, things, so we can uh, enhance our technology forward. Here at the campus, almost 300 Indonesians from different backgrounds, including technical workers and vocational education teachers, are getting training in various fields, such as big data, artificial intelligence, robotics, and the Internet of Things. And other courses are also provided on supply chain management, pharmaceutical biotechnology, and Chinese cuisine. Uh, aside from the knowledge uh, given by the teachers to us, uh, the relationship here, uh, the bonding here was also great. The project is led by the International Cooperation Center of the National Development and Reform Commission and supported by Tenado Foundation China, featuring important majors such as new energy vehicles and robotics. Officials said the project's second phase will be held in central China's Xi'an city in October. In the next step, we will innovate practical cooperation in more fields, continue to promote the small and beautiful project, and boost the high-quality development of the joint construction of the Belt and Road with cooperation projects that are more down-to-earth and more beneficial to people's livelihood. According to officials, China has signed more than 200 cooperation documents linking to the Belt and Road Initiative with more than 150 countries and 32 international organizations. As 2023 marks the 10th anniversary of the initiative, there are high hopes for more practical cooperation that will bring tangible benefits. That was Gao Ang with the report on training for Indonesian workers under the Belt and Road. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, many Canadian wildfire evacuees are still waiting to return to their homes. The Gambia is classified as the 10th most vulnerable countries to the impacts of sea level rise. This week on Climate Watch, we explore how climate change is affecting the smallest country on the African continent, the Gambia and we uncover the strategies the African nation is employing to forge a resilient path forward. Each move counts. Together, let's make a difference. At 18 minutes past the hour. Canada has made some progress in containing the wildfires that have been burning across the country since April. But many people who were forced to leave their homes are still waiting to return. However, getting accurate information is not easy. Mark Neal finds out why. In British Columbia, evacuation orders have been lifted in a few areas, allowing some people to return home. 
But even as firefighters make progress, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is blasting Facebook. In June, Canada passed a law requiring tech companies to pay Canadian news organizations if they share their work. Facebook has begun blocking news in Canada, something Trudeau calls inconceivable at a time when people need information on the wildfires. But right now in an emergency situation, where up-to-date local information is more important than ever, Facebook's putting corporate profits ahead of people's safety, ahead of supporting quality local journalism. This is not the time for that. At evacuation centres across Canada, thousands of people from the Northwest Territories have been waiting for nearly a week to get word whether they can return home. Here in Edmonton, the capital city of Alberta province, the influence of Canada's indigenous people is all around. In fact, the fires have taken a significant toll on that population. In the Northwest Territories, there are 45,000 people living there. Roughly half are indigenous people. With her daughter and two dogs, Debbie Mills of the Vuntut Gwich'in First Nation evacuated from Yellowknife, driving 17 hours and passing through the hamlet of Enterprise to make it to Edmonton. It was really sad because you could see all the burnt areas. And once we got to Enterprise, that's when you saw 95% of the homes were burnt. Eddie and Mary Adele Chocolate of the Clicho First Nation are also stuck in Edmonton. In order to get to their home in Gamati in the Northwest Territories, they need to catch a flight from Yellowknife Airport, which is currently off limits. But now uh, all the air they're I heard they're, they're parking in Edmonton, so there's no, no use going back to Yellowknife and, and try to catch a flight. There's no flight at all. It's all canceled, they say. So we're, you know, um, we're far away. Some evacuees were reluctant to leave their homes in the first place. Tracy Terrian said she wanted to make herself an essential worker by cooking and cleaning for the firefighters. But friends finally convinced her to go. I'm more concerned about the workers that are left behind to add that extra stress of having to be rescued or evacuated because they have the most tremendous job break. Now they don't need that additional problem. For now, she's taken on a new job, helping to make sure the evacuees feel cared for in their new, but hopefully temporary residence. That was Mark Neal reporting. Rio de Janeiro is becoming a favorite destination for Chinese tourists. The Brazilian city is now a member of China's World Tourism Cities Federation. Lucretia Franco reports on what that means for Rio and how it's preparing for the effects of that membership. The Chens, a Chinese family of five traveling together, and this is their first time in Brazil. On their bucket list, a visit to the Christ the Redeemer statue, Rio de Janeiro's most iconic landmark. But it's not a perfect sunny day, as they had hoped. The people from this country, from Brazil, from uh, very nicely, very friendly. But unfortunately, today I've been here real that the weather is not not so not so good because uh, you know, you know what? I was coming back. Rather than a view of the city from the towering statue and the Corcovado mountain, they enjoyed an unexpectedly funny monkey show. The site is in one of the world's largest urban forests. But photos are the best souvenirs. They will show them to friends in New York, where they are currently living. They also plan to share them with their relatives in China's Fujian province. 
And now that Rio has joined the select group of tourist destinations of the Beijing-based World Cities Tourism Federation, the city is anticipating the arrival of many more Chinese tourists. Daniela Maya, Rio's tourism secretary, says Rio's listing among the organization's 239 members from 83 countries will allow the city to tap into a global Chinese travel market. Being part of this federation is extremely important for Rio. I believe that it has all the attributes that the Chinese are seeking. An open city, green, rich in culture, art and amicable. So they are pleased with our participation and we are even more excited to introduce ourselves to the Chinese market. And although Brazil's tourism sector is enjoying a stellar year with Rio among the country's most sought-after tourist destinations, visitors like the Chens are still a rare sight here. Data from Statista shows fewer than 70,000 Chinese visited Brazil in 2019, and less than a tenth of that in 2020, the year the pandemic started. There could be many more, considering China is Brazil's largest trading partner. But after the Asian giant lifted pandemic-era restrictions for group tours to Brazil, hopes are Chinese tourists will rediscover the country, and especially Rio. And that was Lucretia Franco in Rio de Janeiro. The Universal Beijing Resort Amusement Park is reporting a huge increase in visitors during the peak summer season. People coming uh, from, a, from far and wide are enjoying the diversity of themed activities. This is my second day here, and I have gone on every ride. The park is packed with hustling and bustling crowds during summer. So many people queue up at Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey. I waited in lines for about three hours, but it's really fun. Visitors can explore 37 rides and attractions in the seven themed lands at the park, inspired by Hollywood and six popular Universal Pictures franchises. Uh, they can also watch shows and performances and enjoy seasonal water-themed uh, event, Universal Cool Summer, to cool them down in the heat. A selection of movie-themed merchandise is also attracting tourists who want to buy some souvenirs. Universal Beijing Resort opened a guest in the Chinese capital nearly two years ago. Pet-friendly hotels allowing tourists to bring their beloved companions along on their journeys are emerging in China as a new fashion. Many such hotels are offering specialized facilities and services, with some providing pets with their own beds, bath towels and food bowls, and even cosmetic massage services. Now, other hotels also provide uh, designated outdoor spaces for the pets to play around. A proof of vaccination or a valid dog license is still required to ensure the safety of all the guests. Many consumers say the services have have made trips with their pets more convenient. This is the first time I took my dog with me traveling. I booked the hotel more than a week in advance and only got one night. The hotel prepared a hairdryer and toys for my dog. It used to be rather inconvenient to travel with pets, but now more and more hotels are offering pet-friendly services, which have given us more travel options. Communications Director Li Fan at a hotel in Beijing says uh, they are further upgrading services to cater to the growing demand for pet-friendly accommodations. During the summer vacation, the number of orders with pets has increased by around 30 percent. 
the customers are mainly young people. We've also made adjustments so that pets can stay in all our room types. Well, data shows that uh, order volume of pet-friendly hotels between July 1st and August 20th rose by 34% on a yearly basis. Coastal cities such as Shenzhen and Beihai have seen stunning growth in the order volume. Sun protection products like sunscreen, hats, and masks become bestsellers in China as sweltering heat sweeps across the country this summer. Many consumers are covering every inch of their skin with protective clothing. Uh, items like the face kini, a mask that covers the whole face and neck, have become popular among women who seek protection literally from head to toe. Uh, Gao Jianting, who works at a clothing retailer in Shanghai, says these innovative products have become a boon for many e-commerce wholesalers. We have seen three to four times as much growth in our sun protective clothing for men so far this year. The consumer group is aged from 25 to 45 years old, and we are sure that there is larger room for growth going forward. Sales of sun protective clothing, including masks and arm sleeves, rose more than 50% during the 618 Shopping Festival in June, a promotional day that's held each year on June 18th by Chinese e-commerce platforms. A Pakistani man's become a local hero after rescuing uh, eight people from a cable car stranded high over a remote ravine. Sahib Khan works for a company specializing in retrieving vehicles and dead bodies from rivers and ravines in the tribal areas of Pakistan. He volunteered to try and reach the stranded people, including seven children, via a zip line. A military uh, helicopter rescue operation had reportedly been called off. At 28 past the hour, Beijing's at 20 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, a slight rainfall in 26 Celsius. Chongqing's at 26 this evening, then a slight rain in 33. It lasts down to 12 degrees and then showers in 21. Hong Kong's 28 this evening. It'll see thunder showers tomorrow in 31 degrees. Elsewhere, at Tokyo's 25 overnight, slight rain in 32 on Thursday. Islamabad will see heavy rain in 23 this evening, then a slight rainfall in 31 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Chinese president's called for deeper global cooperation at the BRICS Business Forum in South Africa. Thailand's parliament's approved a new prime minister, and many Canadian wildfire evacuees are still waiting to return to their homes. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday, still to come. In business, the BRICS New Development Bank issues its first RAND-denominated bond on international markets. In sports, China's first medal of the 2023 World Athletics Championships in Culture and Entertainment, a showcase of Chinese culture in Kenya. Uh, to contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, though, here's a check of the day's headline news with Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping says BRICS countries should unite to work for development and growth. Speaking at the BRICS summit in Johannesburg, South Africa, President Xi called on the five member countries to take the lead. Yeah, 
We, the BRICS countries, should always bear in mind our founding purpose of strengthening ourselves through unity, act on a strong sense of responsibility, enhance cooperation across the board, and promote high-quality development so as to bring to the world more certainty, stability, and a positive energy. President, President Xi also says China will support innovation and work with all parties on agriculture, sustainable development, and maintaining peace and security. China's ambassador to the United States has voiced hope for more cooperation and called on the U.S. to work with China on stabilizing bilateral ties. Xie Feng told U.S. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo that China's policy towards the United States has been consistent and follows the principle of mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation. Raimondo said they discussed issues relating to their commercial relationship. Their meeting came a few days before Raimondo's trip to China. She will be the fourth high-level U.S. government official to visit Beijing within three months. The new Thai prime minister says he will work tirelessly to improve the livelihood of all the people in the country during his tenure. Sret uh, Seta Tevesin was elected after winning a simple majority in a parliamentary vote. I, Seta Tevesin, feel deeply honored to be elected as the 30th prime minister of Thailand. I want to thank all Thais, the coalition government, members of parliament, and every senator who voted today. I will try to conduct my duties to the best of my abilities, alleviate fatigue, and elevate the lives of all Thais. Tavison was the only candidate nominated to become the new prime minister during the parliamentary session. He received over 480 votes of support out of over 720 votes cast during the joint sitting of the upper and lower houses. Spanish King Felipe has picked People's Party leader Alberto Nunes Feijo as the candidate to try and form a government. The king made his decision after meeting with both Feijo and acting Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez. Both leaders expressed their readiness to try and form a government. The Spanish constitution says the monarch has the right to nominate a candidate to become prime minister. However, it does not specify whether the candidate should be, should be the leader of the party that has won the most votes or the party leader who can gather the most parliamentary support. The African Union has suspended Niger's membership in the wake of the military coup last month, but it responded cautiously to a possible military intervention by the regional bloc ECOWAS to reinstate the ousted president. The military takeover has led to criticism from Niger's neighbors and the international community. ECOWAS has imposed sanctions on Niger and ordered a standby force. It says it will intervene if diplomatic efforts fail. Authorities in Hawaii are calling on the relatives of people missing in the deadly wildfires in Maui to give DNA samples. Officials say the low number provided so far could hinder efforts to identify remains discovered in the rubble. DNA identif identification expert Julie French says the Family Assistance Center has so far collected DNA samples from only 100 families. Nearly three-quarters of the remains that have been tested for DNA thus far have generated searchable DNA results. We need family members to come forward and donate their samples so that we can compare them to these DNA profiles we've already generated from remains. 
this is a critical step in order to make an identification based on the DNA testing that's already been done. At least 1,000 names are on a tentative and unconfirmed list of people unaccounted for. The wildfires that scorched Maui have killed over 110, with more than 2,000 people initially reported missing. The fire brigade in Greece has found 18 charred bodies in a remote village in the northeastern part of the country where wildfires have been raging for days. Firefighters say they're investigating whether the bodies are migrants. The Avros region is a popular route for migrants crossing from Turkey. Elsewhere in Europe, Spain, Italy and Portugal have suffered hot, dry and windy conditions that scientists have linked to climate change. A spokesperson for Canada's finance minister says Christina Freeland, who says she does not own a car, has received a fine for speeding. Freeland was caught driving at 132 kilometers per hour in her home province of Alberta. The minister has portrayed herself as an avid cyclist. The spokesperson says Freeland has paid the 273 Canadian dollar fine in full. A zoo in Tennessee is asking the public to name a giraffe that was born without spots. Zoo owners are hoping attention for the giraffe will help conservation efforts for the declining number of giraffes in the wild. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu with their headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, uh, the BRICS New Development Bank issues its first RAND-denominated bond on international markets. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast and more. We'll see you there. 38 minutes past the hour. Well, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Wednesday. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained over three-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei was up over half a percent. The BRICS New Development Bank has successfully issued its first RAND-denominated bond on the international market. Uh, this was the bank's first local currency bond to be issued in South Africa, and it was oversubscribed. The NDB says it got over 2.5 billion uh, RAND, or roughly 75 million U.S. dollars, in bids. Uh, Sumitra Naidu has more from South Africa. It was no surprise that the first Tsar bond auction attracted plenty of interest as over 40 countries clamoured to join the BRICS grouping. Investor sentiment is driven by the geopolitical environment. Uh, if we see what is happening in the world and how uh, the multilateral system has actually, in a way, failed the global south, then you can imagine that there's a lot of interest in BRICS, and that is why we see those amounts of countries wanting to join BRICS. And I think that sentiment then also spills over in terms of uh, interest in what the new development bank is doing and other assets apart from those ones that are only seen as your typical uh, US dollar uh, issuers. 
The bank auctioned off two bonds, a five-year note at 1 billion rand and a 500 million rand three-year note. The overwhelming support gave the bank an opportunity to up its trade to 1.5 billion rand. Over 70% was taken up by international investors, with the rest by local banks. It's very exciting, but I think what, what, what I like most is now they've put away, uh, let's say, three- and five-year debt. That, that debt can now be issued to South Africa for project funding in rands. And the big thing then, you don't run all this US dollar uh, currency risk, because if you borrow in US dollars and you've got to pay 5% or whatever on that, and the rand goes from 16 to 19 to the dollar, it really causes pain. If you can denominate it in rands, that's great. Second prize is probably to denominate it in a currency that's more linked to, to your currency. The new development bank was established back in 2014 to raise financing for infrastructure and sustainable development and really become an alternative lending institution for other emerging markets. That was Sumitra Naidu reporting from Johannesburg, South Africa. Delegates at the Cross Strait Trade Fair in Tianjin have signed deals for 19 projects involving a total investment of 4.9 billion yuan, or over 670 million U.S. dollars. The four-day events attracted around 300 attendees from Taiwan, including officials and entrepreneurs, in order to promote economic and trade exchanges. Over 2,600 Taiwan-funded companies have established a presence in Tianjin, and the total contractual investment made between the two sides has exceeded 18.1 billion. Billion U.S. dollars. The China International Fair for Investment and Trade will be held in Xiamen in September. The event is expected to contribute to the signing of a series of programs to promote the, the country's policy of high quality opening up. Young Shan Shan has more. Over 80,000 business delegates from 100 countries and regions will attend the China International Fair for Investment and Trade in Xiamen in southeastern Fujian province this September. Chinese officials say they will make efforts to create a fair business environment to encourage international investment. We will publish several reports at this fair, including World Investment Report 2023, China Foreign Investment Report 2023. Also, we will hold over 50 forums and seminars to promote trade, investment and cooperation. Brazil, Serbia and Qatar are the guest countries for the China International Fair for Investment and Trade. Dozens of exhibitions will be held, with a focus on areas such as intelligent manufacturing, the digital economy, carbon neutrality and rural revitalization. Fujian is the first stop for Taiwan business. In 2022, trade between Fujian and Taiwan reached 100 billion yuan, about 14 billion US dollars. An export from Fujian to Taiwan increased by 22.9%. So, at China International Fair for Investment and Trade, we will promote more cooperation between Fujian and Taiwan to promote dialogue and communication across the strait. China's foreign investment had steady development between January and July this year. Along the Belt and Road Initiative countries, Chinese companies' non-financial direct investment have increased by more than 23%. Chinese officials promised the policies to improve business environment, enhance business confidence, attract more foreign investment, and promote high-quality opening up. That was Yang Shenshen reporting.
The city of Jinhua has handled 2,500 China Europe freight train trips since the service started in August of 2017. On Tuesday afternoon, the 2,500 freight train loaded with various goods such as speedboat engines, baby carriages, and textiles departed the eastern Chinese city for Moscow. Data from the local Commerce Bureau shows that in the first seven months of this year, the import and export value of goods handled by the service exceeded 9.5 billion yuan or over 1.3 billion U.S. dollars. China's recorded over 700 million railway passenger trips during the summer travel rush starting from July. Last Saturday, the daily number of passenger trips handled by railways across the country reached over 15 million. That was a record daily high during this period. Over 10,000 trains were operating on daily shifts, increasing 16% over the same period of 2019. This year's summer travel rush is expected to last for over 60 days and end on August 31st. In Somalia, the government's decision to ban three social media applications, namely TikTok, Telegram, and the game's betting app 1xBet, has triggered mixed reaction among citizens. Uh, Wanjet Mungai has more from Somalia. Somali youth protest against government's move to ban TikTok. Abdikadir Ali Mohammed calls himself the president of TikTok in Somalia, and he says the recent move by his government is a big blow. TikTok has many benefits for Somali youth wherever they are, particularly youth from age 18 to 40 who make a lot of money from TikTok and also develop small businesses through TikTok. The light in many homes will go off because of the TikTok ban and many will lose their homes. Many teenagers will come with applications and CVs to government offices. They will leave their work and will go to government offices. Then the government will have to employ or control them. We are calling on the government not to ban TikTok because that is where we get our daily bread. On Sunday, the government banned TikTok, Telegram and an online betting website, One Times Bet, blaming the applications for spreading propaganda, misinformation and what it calls horrific content. Halimo Hassan, a gold trader in the capital Mogadishu, wishes TikTok could be spared for the sake of online sellers. The ban on TikTok will have an impact on our business because we sell most of our items via TikTok. We advertise on TikTok and people watch from all over the world. People from abroad and locals come to us through TikTok adverts. And the people come to us with the pictures we posted on TikTok and then buy from us. Parents say the new directive is a step in the right direction. I am very happy with the ban of TikTok and I would like the ban of other similar applications except for speaking and chatting. I only accept that kind of communication. The ban comes days after President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed announced that he's scaling up a military operation on Al-Shabaab. The militant group has been accused of posting the activities on TikTok and Telegram. Telegram, however, says it actively moderates harmful content on the platform. The government has given the internet providers up until Thursday to comply with the bans. Meanwhile, the youth remain in protest against the ban. Now, as Wanja Mungai reporting from Somalia, you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China's first medal of the 2023 World Athletics Championships. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 minutes past the hour now. Turning to sports, here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with athletics news and defending world champion Fung Bin bested her season's record four times, culminating in a throw of 68.20 meters to secure a bronze in the women's discus throw final at the 2023 World Athletics Championships. Fung equated the value of this bronze to the gold she clinched at the 2022 World Championships in Oregon. I think the value of this bronze medal is even higher than last year's gold because I was a little bit lucky to win the title last year. But here in Budapest, I put more effort into the competition and took bronze step by step. Through the championships, I become more confident on the Paris Olympics next year. This achievement marked the first medal for the Chinese team in Budapest. In badminton, Olympic champion Chen Yufei began her fifth world championships with a strong start as she overcame Pai Yu Po in straight games, setting her sights on her maiden world title. Chen's compatriots He Bing Jiao and Wang Jieyi also advanced to the round of 16. In men's singles, sixth seed Li Shifeng progressed, but teammate Lu Guangzhou fell in the second round after a three-game loss to Wang Zhu Wei of Chinese Taipei. Top seed Victor Axelsson continued his dominant performance, beating French challenger Christo Popov in just 30 minutes. In basketball, Team China has announced its FIBA World Cup roster, with naturalized player Li Kaier included on the 12-man squad. Team China is in Group B, starting against Serbia on Saturday, before taking on South Sudan and Puerto Rico. The World Cup will get underway across the Philippines, Japan and Indonesia. Moving on to football news and Chinese Super League side Shanghai Port has missed an Asian Champions League spot after suffering a 3-2 defeat to Thai club BG Patum United in the qualifier. A hat-trick by Igor Serge Yev saw his side Han Shanghai their first ever home defeat in the Asian Champions League. Wu Lei missed an opportunity to equalize the game in stoppage time. Zhejiang FC progressed to the Asian Champions League after edging past Port FC 1-0. Elsewhere, Cristiano Ronaldo's El Nasser also qualified for the group stage after they secured a 4-2 victory against Shabab Al Ahly in Riyadh. Manchester City's £80 million move to sign Lucas Paqueta from West Ham is off amid an FA betting investigation into the midfielder. A deal had been agreed in principle last week before West Ham were informed this week that the Brazil international was the subject of an investigation into alleged betting breaches. There was a very small chance that the transfer could still go ahead last week, but there is now no prospect of that happening. Sources close to the player reportedly hope Paqueta's move to City might still happen in January. Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola will be absent from City's next two Premier League games after undergoing back surgery. A statement from the Premier League champion states that their manager has been struggling with back pain for some time and has undergone emergency surgery in Barcelona. Guardiola's surgery was successful but he will continue his rehabilitation in the city. The 52-year-old is not expected to be back on the touchline for City until after the international break. Spain's acting prime minister has slammed Spanish FA president Luis Rubiales for kissing Jennifer Hermoso on the lips during the World Cup final trophy celebrations. Pedro Sanchez blasted Rubiales' move as an unacceptable gesture. 
Rubiales has apologized and said he was completely wrong. Sanchez said the players did everything to win, but Rubiales' behavior shows that there is still a long way to go for equality. British newspaper The Sun is reporting that Sheikh Jassim is set to complete his full £6 billion takeover of Manchester United by mid-October. The Qatari royal family has fought off a rival bidder, British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who was willing to allow the Glazer family to retain a stake in the Red Devils. The report adds that a date is penciled in and an announcement could come as early as next month. Sheikh Jassim's team are now said to be completing their due diligence on the club before they end the 18-year reign of the Glazers. And finally, the National Basketball Players Association has stated that they intend to file a grievance disputing the NBA's $100,000 fine for James Harden. The fine was issued over public comments Harden made earlier this month, expressing his displeasure after the Philadelphia 76ers failed to trade him. Harden was fined the maximum amount under the new collective bargaining agreement, which went into effect last month. Well, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates reporting. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a showcase of Chinese culture in Kenya. Would you like to receive the latest news updates about China and the rest of the globe? Tune in to the Beijing Hour every weekday for the latest in politics, business, sports and entertainment from a Chinese perspective. Subscribe to the Beijing Hour for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 53 minutes past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. The National Museum of Kenya in Nairobi held a unique event to showcase China's cultural heritage. Chinese and Kenyan nationals from all walks of life gathered at the museums to experience a recreation of key archaeological sites of the Chinese civilization. Nick Mudingba spoke to some visitors. With the guidance of the Administration of Cultural Heritage of the People's Republic of China, Kenya's National Museums hosted a special exhibition to show the journey through civilizations that showcases the richness of Chinese culture, art, tradition and history. We are here to celebrate uh, that uh, long history of civilizations, uh, time through civilizations, which to me is a wonderful, wonderful narrative because we are able to really uh, celebrate that long history between, between Kenya, uh, Kenya, or modern Kenya, and, and China. The unique exhibition involved advanced digital technologies like digital design, cloud rendering, exhibition design, and cloud computing. It authentically recreated 10 key ecological sites of the Chinese Civilization Research Project, which provides exhibition spaces for the Chinese Civilization 5,000 years ago. There's going to be a lot of cultural exchange, uh, even in the way of exhibitions, uh, between, between, say, uh, the National Museums of Kenya and the Museums of China. So there's been those discussions in the past, and I, I believe that there's going to be more, more discussions and more engagements on the same, uh, with a view to exploring how we can really expand our, our cultural programs between the two nations. Gaming enthusiasts were also able to explore the sites through user-friendly technology of gaming that explores the sites. It's an aspect which combines fun and learning, making it easier for different generations to understand the success story of the Chinese civilization. China is a dreamland. I would like to go there, learn more about their culture, the technology in China, because most of the things they come from China. I would love to know their way of life, 
their way of life, how they live, everything they do, the education system. And one thing I would want to learn from China is the education system and the new ways of technology. The journey through civilization's world tour is the digital art exhibition, Civilization in Archaeology, produced by Yangbo Digital Art Exhibition, a subsidiary of the China Media Group. That was Nick Mudimba on a Chinese cultural heritage exhibition in Kenya. Inner Mongolia has held an academic symposium at one of the three origin points of China's 5,000 years of civilization. The academic gathering on the West Liaohe River had a special take comparing the civilization in what is today's Inner Mongolia to the Yellow River and the Yangtze River cultures. The three are considered the major sources of China's diverse yet unified culture. The meeting also discussed the subjects such as how to conserve cultural heritage during urban construction and how to better present the river area's civilization to the world. Prominent photographers from across the Taiwan Straits will be featured at an exhibition in October as part of the Photo Beijing International Photography Week. The selected photographers vary from veteran photographers above 80 years old to some newcomers from the mainland and Thailand. Uh, rather Taiwan, with rich themes and diverse creative expressions, the exhibition will showcase the artistic results of the photographers. An inaugural exhibit of PL Lei relics was displayed at the memorial of the First National Congress of the Communist Party of China in Shanghai. The event took place to celebrate the 96th anniversary of the founding of the People's Liberation Army. The event also aimed to strengthen the protection and the utilization of revolutionary cultural relics. Party history experts took the time to appreciate and discuss a collection of artifacts related to the revolutionary history of the party. Nineteen sets of relics from the early days of the PLA were exhibited, including documents, books, newspapers, and the personal items used by the revolutionary heroes. And finally, China has issued a set of commemorative coins featuring Sanjiang Yuan National Park and the Giant Panda National Park, both in western China. The set of six coins, all legal tender in the country, includes two gold coins, two silver coins, and two two-color copper alloy coins. Each set features the landscape of the parks and their typical animals, the giant panda and the Tibetan antelope. And thank you very much. And that was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. Uh, we're at 58 minutes past the hour. Checking the forecast before we go for the day. And uh, Beijing will be down to 20 degrees overnight. A slight rain and 26 coming on Thursday. Chongqing's 26 this evening. Uh, a slight rain and 33 tomorrow. Last is down to 12 degrees, then showers and 21. Hong Kong. 28 this evening, thunder showers and 31 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 25 overnight, then a slight rain and 32 on Thursday. Islamabad will see heavy rainfall and 23 tonight. A slight rain tomorrow and 31 degrees. Bangkok's at 26 overnight, then a slight rain and 34 on Thursday. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a slight rain and 28 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 12 this evening, then a slight rain and 18. Auckland's down to 6 degrees this evening, and then a slight rain and 13. Port Vila will get a slight rain and 26 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Chinese president calls for unity among BRICS countries at the summit in South Africa. And Thailand's parliament has approved a new prime minister. 
On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.